Hello and welcome to the Tight Lads Podcast with your hosts Jordan Donnelly, Abby O'Neill and Chesney Forks Porter. Enjoy. Hello everybody, how the hell are you? So we are sadly missing a member of Tight Lads this week. Our darling scissor sister Abigail O'Neill cannot join us this week. She has personal commitments that she has to prioritise However, we are very excited and thrilled to welcome her back next week. However, I am of course joined by my other noble companion, the trench to my foot, Chesney Fox Porter. Say hello, Chesney. Hello, Chesney. And welcome to Thailand. And we are very lucky today because we are joined by a very special guest. She is a former student of both Warwick University and Mountview Academy, as well as currently studying at the Central School of Speech and Drama. Please give a warm welcome to today's guest, Molly Parker. Hello, hello, hello. (laughs) Molly, how are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are you? We're all good, guys. It was a mission to get this set up because Molly is very in demand. (laughs) I know, my schedule's a nightmare. Yeah, so we are. The only busy person in lockdown. The only busy person. (laughs) I know, I'm very lucky. We are overwhelmed and thrilled that she could spare an hour of her time to come on and talk to the tight lads. So, Molly, we have uh, a lot to get through, so we may as well just get stuck in and start going for it so the first thing I want to ask is for just a bit of background on you and pretty much up until you chose to audition for Mountview because just to give everybody a bit of context you were the musical theatre foundation class in Mountview of was it 2016? Yeah I think so 2016. Yeah so just give us a bit of background up until you chose to go to Mount View and what kind of triggered that decision that that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, so I'm from Surrey. I just went to school. Um, and then it was during my A-level year, which I'm sure we can all agree is one of the most stressful times ever. Um, and I remember thinking, oh, I really like would appreciate a break. At my school, like you just went to university. No one I knew went to drama schools. I didn't really know what drama school was, but I kind of liked acting and all of that. Um, so I applied for Warwick. I did all that um, applied for English literature and theatre. But then I was like, I need a break. I need a break. So my mum was like, oh, why don't you try and go for a drama school? And so I was like, okay, I don't really know what that is. I've done a a few like short courses here and there. But I literally went on to Google and went top drama schools in London search. Mm -hmm. And this list of 10 drama schools came up. Mountview was one of them. So I booked an audition, got in. And so I was like, yeah, let's do this for a year and let's see where it takes us. Um, and that's how I ended up at Mountview, doing a foundation in MT. And what from there kind of made you want to transition into voice coaching? And did that decision come straight away during Mountview or is this more of a gradual thing? Yeah, it literally didn't come straight away at all. Like I had no idea what voice coaching was until I was at Mountview. I'd never heard of it in the slightest. And so we started voice classes, which I enjoyed because I definitely like, Um, understood it I feel like voice class was something that had some like solidity if that's a word to it Um, 
so I really enjoyed the boys classes but I also messed about a lot in them so I, I wasn't like the best most well-behaved student in boys because I just thought it was quite fun but then when I went to uni after so I deferred my place at Warwick went to uni and I realized that it was really really helpful to teach fellow students that I was at Warwick with all the boys class things that I had learned um, and that was in like university plays that was for interviews that was everything across the whole board until it got to a point where I was like oh I really enjoy like teaching this I'm really fascinated in this communication thing and then I was like well I can do this next I can try and make this a career and that's how I kind of transitioned and started applying for central. Did you find because this is something I find interesting about foundation years it's how it can like <clears throat> really help people solidify what they are actually passionate about and a lot of people <clears throat> come out of a foundation thinking I never want to do this again uh, but it does kind of help them realize that oh I actually want to do this or I actually want to do that so do you think the foundation course kind of helped solidify that in a way? I think so I mean I think I had a different experience to most people on my foundation year because I literally was so naive and had no idea what I was getting myself into. I had no idea that people went on a, to a foundation year to get into like a BA, a drama school. I literally just thought it was a year's worth of training that was fun, new skills, keeping on top of these skills. So I kind of went in thinking like, maybe I do want to go to drama school in the future. Maybe not. I don't know. But when you're surrounded by people who are like, yeah, I definitely want to go to drama school. I definitely want to do this. It definitely made me think. Do you know what? That's great for them. But I just didn't come out of the womb wanting that. So I'm going to go into a different path. Um, yeah, I think it, like without that foundation year, though, I literally wouldn't be where I am today, which is mad because I remember finishing it and thinking, oh, am I, you know, is it a cop out to go to university next rather than try for a drama school? But then I look back and I'm like, well, no, because I figured out a way to kind of get the skills I got from a foundation and put it into what I'm doing now, which yeah, so I think you're completely right. I think it can definitely solid, solidify what people want to do. Yeah, in that, absolutely. In that, um, in that foundation year, when you said that you um, you sort of went in quite naive and you didn't really, you weren't, the drama school wasn't your sort of perceived route. Did you sort of face a lot of scrutiny for that from other people in the year? Like they didn't really understand it? Um, I don't think I had scrutiny, not to my knowledge. I think I definitely people, it was always like the norm that, I feel like the first day I showed up and it was just, it wasn't even a conversation that everyone was there to get into a BA. Like I was definitely like not othered, but I definitely had a def different perception than everyone on there. Um, I don't think that was a scrutiny thing, but I think it was just like, I'd like to think of it as a nice, like a different opinion to bring into the group, I guess. It was someone who was, I was definitely more chilled than everyone else. I was definitely more like, just see how it goes and don't panic about the audition at the end of the year kind of thing. Um, so I was definitely like a different mix in the bunch, but I don't think I was scrutinised for it to my knowledge though, who knows? Yeah, so Molly, my next question, it's a very loaded question, so I don't actually know how you're going to be able to answer this one, but it's basically who is voice coaching for and in your mind should it only be applicable to actors and the reason I ask this is because I, I'm, I'm going to speak for myself and saying that I shy away from anything that feels hippy dippy so what I mean by that is like I am awful at meditation 
I enjoy yoga for the physical aspect of it, but can never get into the spiritual element of it. Any voice or acting class where I've been rolling around on the floor, being told to focus on my energy, focus on my flow. I've never been able to get into that and properly like allow myself to reap the rewards of doing that. And I feel like musical theatre people are encouraged to be very, I suppose, rigid and very practical in regards to how they spend their time and what skills they have in their bag of tricks. So unless it's helping them belt higher, kick their leg higher, or be able to do a backflip, it therefore doesn't seem necessary. And then I feel like because we get so focused on the impressive stuff, we like completely neglect having a basic, I suppose, understanding of your speaking voice and how to project and how to talk at a job interview or how to public speak, you know, all this kind of stuff that you take for granted because you're so focused on being able to belt crazy notes and stuff. So what, who, who is voice coaching for? Yeah, that's such an interesting question because in my experience when I was on the MT Foundation course, I thought voice coaching or voice class was one of the least subjective classes. Like I always found the hippy dippy stuff was like doing a monologue and the teacher being like, yeah, that's it. And me literally not understanding what they're talking about. Whereas the reason I kind of went for voice, I guess suited voice at that time was because it felt like it was, there was always a reason I could always like hear what the voice teacher was hinting at. Whereas I feel like in some drama classes, I would have no idea what the drama teacher was saying. Like I literally didn't know what, what meant someone was good and what meant someone was bad. So I had never heard that like MT actors find voice coaching, they're like rolling around on the floor and that perceptual stuff, which is, which is like, it completely is. However, right now, especially voice coaches are going into corporate clients and working with women and how to project their voice or they're even working with, within the like transgender community in helping people transition. And they're working with even like nonverbal communication and like lisps and stutters and vocal impediments or broadcasters even on the media, like it goes everywhere. But I guess, would I go into a corporate climate and do the whole rolling around on the floor and beating the chest? No, it's just how you kind of translate those skills into each environment. Um, so voice coaching can be for absolutely everyone, but I completely get that in a drama school, it has got this like hippy dippy way of working. Um, because to be honest, it just works. Like it, it, it's so stupid. And I'm also so, so bad at meditating. Like I do not like to slow down. I'm not very good at that kind of thing. But when I do a session like that, I come out feeling like a million times better because my voice feels so much more centered. Um, so yeah, I think it's for everyone, but it obviously just needs to kind of translate the way you teach it in different climates according to what they need. And do you think that with the fact that you've kind of had a year of musical theatre training, do you think as, well, someone who wants to be a vocal coach, do you feel like you can kind of be more versatile now with the sense that, okay, I now have, I now have kind of like a year of that very musical theatre focused training and now I'm you know studying voice um, exclusively do you feel like having that year of MT has kind of like made you feel like you're ready to deal with all elements of it? Yeah I 
think so. And I think more so than, well, most people on my course now, for example, are actors. A lot of them are coming from an acting industry and looking to go into voice work within drama schools, I presume. But I actually think I'm really lucky that I went to university before this course because I've got a little glimmer of what it's like to be in a drama school and what the um, objectives are to teach at a drama school. But I've also got um, that kind of touch of reality of how you know people going into corporate business or people who need interview skills also work and how they expect um, they expect a session to go like it's just worlds apart. So I think actually I'm really lucky and I think I'm I'm quite versatile because I've got both Mountview and Warwick under my belt that I can kind of sense, um, I can sense different areas just need different things. Um, so yeah, I think so. I'd hope so. <laughs> so now I want to ask um, a little bit of background on your brothers because I know that you have two brothers who live with autism. And I know that you have expressed online before how they aren't fully able to communicate and tell you how they are feeling, which in turn kind of makes life more difficult for you because you don't necessarily know how you can help because, well, they aren't able to tell you what's wrong. So just give us a bit of background on your brothers and then tell us whether you feel like the fact that they aren't necessarily able to communicate has kind of almost motivated you to like do what you want to do yeah definitely so yeah I've got two brothers Max and Josh Max is the oldest one he's only two years younger than me so I really can't remember much about his diagnosis but he was diagnosed when he was three with nonverbal autism which they both are which basically means they can't speak um, they can't like drive they can't shave themselves they can't cook like they're very um they're all completely codependent basically um their way of communication is I mean we used to do sign language with them but that never really stuck and all they really ask for is like food so <laughs> I know all the sign language for like biscuits and cakes and sweets but that's as far as I can like go with British sign language um but they kind of communicate I guess when you live with someone for so long and they've literally lived in the same house for basically all their lives, you just get into a routine where you know what someone wants and what someone doesn't. So that's great on a day-to-day -day basis. We we all know what they want. We all know what they what they need. However, as you mentioned, if something goes wrong, which it can do, like Max, my oldest brother, when he turned 13, got epilepsy, um, which is really common for autism. But obviously he cannot communicate to us when he feels down or when he feels bad we've just got to kind of look at him from the outside and judge, which is which can be really hard, especially when it comes to medicating. Um, when you get someone on a medication, usually they're the ones who are able to kind of figure out whether it's working for them, but we have to figure out whether it's working for them, literally just from an outside view. So yeah, it can be really challenging. Max is really different to Josh. I'd say Max is more like stereotypically um, like learning difficulties and Josh is more stereotypical autistic so you're sort of stereotypical autistic person who likes everything in an order who is really really clever like he can complete like 500 piece puzzles in an instant um, but he can't speak like it's it's bizarre how different they are Max is really lazy Josh is really like with it and smart um, and so when I was younger 
I thought I wanted to go into working with autism because I've just been brought up with it. However, I remember my mum turning around to me and being like, just have a think about that because it can obviously get a lot to have your home life the same as your work life. Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, now I look back and I think she was just spot on. However, when I went into voice coaching, I honestly didn't even think of the link until I started this course. So I think there must be some sort of subconscious level of wanting to help people to communicate because as cringe as it sounds like I probably do think it's such a privilege to be able to speak and it's such a privilege to even have a voice to communicate so for me to be able to help other people feel empowered in that voice that they have um is great like that's just so exciting to me and I think uh, yeah I'm definitely such a geek when it comes to communication because of them yeah absolutely um I have to ask about the Sia movie and just mm. to give a bit of context, bearing all of that stuff in mind, and just to give everybody a bit of context that doesn't know. Um, so singer-songwriter Sia has directed a movie called Music, which is due to be released later this year. And it has caused a lot of controversy because it stars Maddie Ziegler from um, Dance Moms or most of her music videos. And um, Maddie plays an autistic character, but she herself is not autistic. And it has caused a lot of upset. Sia has been described as ableist, discriminative. So just give us give us your opinion on it, because I know that having your two brothers, it will kind of hit closer to home. Yeah, it's honestly like, yeah, it's, it's a really, to be honest, I'm going to use words like sickening. Like I remember hearing about it and I watched the trailer and you can see Maddie copying the sort of body language that, people like my brothers do and that's kind of body language if you've ever seen someone who's like non-verbal autistic maybe like hands and ears um maybe like rocking side to side but I think it's just so disheartening because we're I feel like really getting through a tipping point in the whole industry hopefully with this typecasting and you know I would never accept the role of a transgender woman so why on earth would I accept the role of a like non-verbal autistic person when there are autistic actors out there who of course aren't non-verbal but could play that role in a much more suited way and a much more educational stance than someone who is neurotypical um yeah it just it's just so disheartening because to to like take a role of a group of people who literally can't stand up for themselves I just think is a whole new level of offensive. Like it's it's really, really gross to me. Um, yeah, it's, it's vile. And Sia herself has come out and said, yeah, it is ableist. And I think she just, I think she said like, um, oh, I just can't do a project without Maddie and I can't do this and I can't do that. And it was just a lot of attacks on the autistic community, um, which is just saddening. It's just really sad that that something like this can go ahead, to be honest. Yeah, I was I was reading up on it yesterday and Sia was kind of defending it by saying, yes, but she plays it so well. And it's kind of like, well, she, that's regardless, she shouldn't that's necessarily be doing it in the first place. Like that would, yeah. that would be like, that would be like Tim Burton in his most recent movie, putting, putting Johnny Depp in it because he's in every Tim Burton movie. But the whole movie is about a black person. So they're going to blackface Johnny Depp. But because because Tim Burton needs to have Johnny Depp, that's his excuse. Like that is literally what Sia is saying in that in that comment. Yeah, it's just not suited. And I also just don't really understand how someone could ever say 
oh, they play it so well. No. When we don't know what goes on in the minds of a non-verbal autistic person and the closest, like the closest type of people um, that might be able to relate to a non-verbal autistic person are autistic people because some autistic people are non-verbal but can still type and can still communicate through typing. So, you know, it's, I don't understand how two neurotypical people can suggest that, oh, she does it so well when that's not, I mean, I mean, in my opinion, like good acting is when you know the character from inside out, you know what they're thinking at all times and you cannot play a non-verbal autistic character as a neurotypical person with understanding all of that. Yeah, it's mad. Oh, so bearing all of that in mind, I know that you have touched upon this on your social media as well, but how important do you feel it is that all voices should be heard? Because I know that you have expressed that, well, right now within your training, there is a severe lack of diversity. Um, and you're, I know that you had said that most of the resources that you're given to study are all white writers and things like this. So mm. just t talk about that a bit more and just kind of discuss how how you are, it kind of has hit you in the face that there actually is such a severe lack of diversity. Yeah, it, it's mad. I think I always went into voice coaching or even just like, you always think that the theatre industry is one of the most inclusive, most diverse places ever, right? Because you go to the theatre and it's something, it's a place to celebrate everyone and everyone's welcomed. Um, and I'm going to, I'm try to stick to just voice coaching stuff for now, but that's just not the case and I've come into boys coaching and all of my coaches are white boys coaching kind of was made by white women however you've also got to bear in mind that those white women were trained in theatre by white men so it all stems back to this you know patriarchal oppression and what's strange is that most of my white coaches are bringing in exercises that they've learned through Eastern practices such as Tai Chi and things like that. So I have honestly heard Eastern practices mentioned throughout my whole weeks by nearly all of my voice coaches. However, they're all white. And I have a friend of my course who has uh, time and time again mentioned how similar what we're doing is really close to yoga and how one practitioner in particular her book is all centered around basically copy and pasted yogic exercises but there's just no citation or no referencing in that like it's an unbelievably white industry and that shocked me and I think naively shocked me because for some reason I thought magically voice coaching is a you know it's a platform to celebrate all voices and help everyone be heard however I go into it and it's just so whitewashed, like everything's so whitewashed, almost appropriated by these Eastern practices. Um, so that's really hit me, especially the last like month or so. Um, but, you know, I think we're coming to a tipping point with that, hopefully, with us as the kind of next generation, because it is just just so outdated. And was that something you found because you've now been through what three institutions? Is it something that you find count, count well across all three or is it something that is just kind of really present in your mind now? I think it's definitely come across all three. I don't think I was with it enough to recognise it when I was at Mountview. But when you look at typecasting issues, for example, um, in the drama industry, it's, it's huge. And I think university was 
obviously way more diverse because at Mount View there was what 20 20 something people in my course the same as Central whereas at university you're met with thousands of people every single day so it is more diverse however the theatre section at university wasn't very diverse and that was a whole conversation we had to have at Warwick so I think that is a real issue in the theatre industry because there's there's just this lack of awareness I think and there's just wrong wrong roles being played by wrong people there's not enough focus on diversity there's either positive discrimination or discrimination all out and typecast it it's, it's just a whole mess that I think I've seen across all my three years but most specifically within the theatre industry which is you know I would have seen that because that's what I've been involved in for three years um but yeah big big issue I think, I think I like what you're, you're saying there but like when you when you look at the theatre industry there's a lot of surface level token inclusion like mm. there'll be a there'll be a there'll be a production put on and it will be all people of a of a certain minority or there'll be or all people of you know different ethnic backgrounds but then like when you actually look like a step further back from what the public see all the producers or all of the people who have any kind of sway over the show they're all middle-aged white men and all the people that get involved in it are all middle-aged white men and it's just them yeah. sort of putting on a show of diversity to sort of look yeah. better on themselves yeah exactly I was reading a paper on this this morning about kind of the um just, just how racist typecasting is and it, there's this idea of a somatic norm which is basically what we deem as normal in society and that is the white male body and because that's so normal in theatre especially and in society it's not, um, they would describe it as it's not raced. So you would never see a white actor and say, oh yeah, this white actor's playing this, this role. But you would say that for any other, any other body because that body is othered. You would point out that it's a female actress leading that. You would point out that there's a black actor leading that. But when it's a white male body, it's just so normal and it's so neutralized to see in front of us that you just wouldn't even mention it. Um, yeah, crazy. I remember seeing 42nd Street, the revival they did in London a couple of years ago. And I remember watching one of the big top numbers anyway, and that was a big cast. I think that was the biggest cast of any show at the time. I think there was about 50 people in that show. Definitely. And, um, and I remember we were watching this number and it was, everybody was white, but then there was one black girl dancing in the corner. And it kind of felt a bit strange because because of the fact that it was so white and then just one black girl, I was like, it did feel like token. I was like, are you have are you in this? She was amazing dancer and beautiful, beautiful girl, but it was like, are you the one black girl to cover their ass to mm. say that they have the one black girl? And it just mm. I do realise that a show like Forty Second Street, it's very, very dated anyway, the time that it was written, but to put it on in, I think it was on, what, 2017, 2018, and to still have the cast be so whitewashed, it was just mm. kind of bizarre to watch. I think especially because the, the more and more with each year that goes on, the shows that we do see are more diverse. We have like Dreamgirls and Juliet, uh, Motown, Tina, these kind of shows that are black-led. But then it was just really, really bizarre that across the road from Tina, we had this show that was so, so white. Mm. 
And do you do you think it's something that is just as prominent like within straight acting? Or do you feel like it's more kind of it's more of a thing within musical theatre? Yeah, it's, it's that's a really hard one. I think just theatre itself attracts and this is you know this is a generalization so obviously there are anomalies in this but I do think the theatre industry attracts people like me who are white and middle class because I have had the money to educate myself and the freedom within that financial like yeah that financial freedom to be able to pursue a career which means I might not like get a lot of money in my career whereas black people are just so discriminated against that they do not have that financial freedom that financial opportunities um so it i think it comes into both i think it comes into straight acting as well as musical theater but i think it's like a wider societal issue like everything is right um i guess and again i like the musical theater a long time ago you guys would probably be better at talking about it but i guess musical theater it's almost more glamorized, would you fair to say, than like straight acting. I guess it's more like showy. It's more like everything is amazing and everything has to end up like being great at the end of a musical, which I guess is also why it welcomes a white cast. Because as soon as you do get a more diverse cast into something, you have to talk about race. And because racism is still, you know, in existence, can you do a really happy, really upbeat musical with those undertones of racial discrimination in it? I don't know. I find that I do find it very, very interesting. And I don't I do think drama schools do feed into it, but you know, I helped at the auditions every year for the school I was at, and every black girl that came through the doors to audition, every single girl either sang coloured women from Memphis or I'm here from the colour purple and regardless of voice type a lot of them it very much wasn't within their voice and I was just kind of like I wonder why you've chose to do this is it Mm. to I just really really question whether they have been made to feel like the only way that they're going to be seen and appreciated within that is if they go for those for those type of big anthems for yeah. black women you know what I mean and as well as that it's kind of like for those girls that do get into training it's very rare that I see some of them who end up coming out the other side saying oh my casting is soprano and mm. I want to do all these legit I want to do these legit mm. shows and it's just a really really bizarre thing that I don't know whether they feel like in order to do well they have to put themselves into that bracket of colour purple or Memphis rather than being like I can play anything I want yeah but I think that is also this weird like there's just such a lack of audition materials for people who aren't white like what's an absolute joke is when I was at Mountview and we did our end of year showcase they got me to sing I'm here which is an absolute joke on all levels Um, And something that I was too naive at the time to even think about, but I've written a blog post since that from like last year, just reflecting on it, because that is literally stealing like one of the very few black audition materials that that young black girls have. I could have sung absolutely anything like they could have got me to sing any other musical and it would have been like so fine for a white person to sing. And it's mad. And this also goes into like accents and stuff as well. This goes into how straight acting. Um, a black 
actor will probably be asked to do like an East London accent, whereas a white person will probably get any other accent they want. Um, it goes into absolutely everything and it, it's crazy. I think we've got such a long way to go on this and it's such a big, big topic. I don't want to take up too much time like chatting about it, but it's so interesting. I do have a question about that kind of thing. It's like, how do you feel when performers use the song? So for example, um, Alice Fern, who played Alphaba for like 50 years, um, she she did a concert and she sang I'm Here from The Colour Purple. And I remember watching it, fantastic singer. I don't want to take anything away from her because she is amazing. But I remember she sang that song and I kind of thought out of all the songs she could have done, why this one? And I, that was kind of what I walked away from not thinking like there was no, there wasn't a need for that song. You know what mm. I mean? So how, how do you feel about that? Do you feel like if it's out of context, you know, it's free for all, nobody owns the song, but do you feel, you know, what's your kind of stance yeah. on that? So I did. I did think, well, if it's not in the context of the musical and I can interpret the words however I like, great. However, I'm learning that everyone, you know, there's this quote that says no one is a neutral observer, which basically is referencing the fact that for me, everything I see in the world is through a white middle class um, heterosexual lens, right? Everything I see. And it's taken me a long time to recognize that that is my lens. Like it's taken me so long to realize that that's how I see everything. That's how I um, firsthand judge everything because that's just who I've been brought up as and who I will stay as. But once you recognize that lens, I think you've got to then start to criticize the fact that everything you're seeing is through that lens because then you start to open up your eyes to see, so what if I viewed this through or what if someone else was viewing this through a different lens to me? would that offend them? Like, yeah, I think it would really offend someone if I got up at a gig and sung I'm Here by The Colour Purple. I know plenty of my friends who are Black would be absolutely horrified by me doing that. And that's when I think I've got to start respecting other people's lenses. And I think my belief that it was fine when it was out of context was a white lens belief. And now I'm learning, now I'm criticizing that and seeing other lenses as much as I can, which is tiring. Like you are constantly having to like see things through a different lens, but it, it's the only way that I think you can personally work to try and try and solve this whole issue and try and just become more inclusive in your practice and as a person. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So keeping the theater industry in mind, and again, this is a very loaded question that I apologise for, <laughs> but what do you think the future holds for everyone within the industry? And what do you feel that all people within the field can be doing during this time to, well, number one, stay passionate and keep the fire under their ass lit, but as yeah. well as that, just generally look after themselves. So, and, you know, across all areas, it doesn't necessarily just need to apply to actors or singers, you know, people who want to pursue teaching or writing or directing you know mm. what do you think we can all kind of been doing to one stay passionate and keep the fire but as mm. well as that just you know keep ourselves in check and look after ourselves yeah great question I think the theatre industry I really am hopeful that we're at a tipping point with race and becoming more inclusive I really think we are at a tipping point with that I think we're at a point where 
we are more acceptive of different accents. I think learning RP, which for people, if you don't know who that, what that is, it's like my accent, but heightened. It's like the posh Queen's English. And that is usually the accent that you are taught at a drama school in your first year, no matter what accent you come in with, that's the accent you're taught. I think that's being twisted now. I think we're questioning the idea of teaching a standard accent at all. And I think we're trying to adjust the training um, for the theatre industry to make it more inclusive, which hopefully will have a knock-on effect. And I think in terms of staying on top of your craft, I mean, it is hard, right? I think there's a balance. And I think there's a balance between trying to set yourself realistic goals and trying to let yourself have a break and remind yourself that you're in a pandemic and you don't have to be doing xyz every single day I think you have to I am actually doing a free webinar on this next Wednesday or this Wednesday whenever this comes up um but I think there's a balance between just reflecting on your craft in terms of where your technique's at where your love for it is at and how you want to move on through it so sitting down with yourself and thinking okay what did I leave drama school with being able to do that I can no longer do right now or I'm not comfortable with? What thing, if someone was to turn around to me and saying, you're going on stage in five minutes and you have to do, I don't know, three triple pirouettes in a row, how much would that scare you? And just analyze all of the technique stuff that you've been so blessed to kind of learn, get them in an order and just remind yourself of what you want to prioritize, what you want to keep working on and just try it. I think it doesn't matter if you like spend a week trying to do all these technique things or trying to refresh your memory of what you've learned and it doesn't work. I think just trying it is a lot. I think making sure that you can access as much theatre as possible at this time as well. Um, I know National Theatre will have stuff online. I know YouTube will have loads of stuff online. Um, watching old videos of yourself doing things might also be a really nice way to like rekindle your love. Um, and there is also loads of like free shit online I think I think there's loads of free online classes um mm. just try and keep looking for them like Instagram pages like the grad fest are quite good I think um but yeah well how have you guys find it how are you guys trying to trying to rekindle your love for everything my personally I have kind of struggled to get motivated only because in regard to the theatre industry, it feels like it's just, there's just nothing at the minute. And mm. it feels very difficult to stay motivated about something that isn't necessarily there right now. Yeah. Um, however, I do, this week, past week actually, I have been finding myself, um, kind of forcing myself not to get back into the mindset, but just start to like remind myself why I love it, why, why it's what I want to do. I had a bit of a musical theatre night a couple of nights ago, which I haven't <laughs> had in a long time, where I just kind of sit with a cup of tea, I'll go on the laptop, I'll have a musical that I've never heard before, I'll stick that cast album on, and I'll just kind of like go on broadway.com and watch like these old like Patti LuPone interviews or, you know, all this stuff, which I used to do when I was like 15 or 16, going, oh, one day I'm going to move to London and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. <laughs> So having nights like that, which I haven't had in a long time, um, I find really, really helpful. And I had one of those two nights ago and I thought, oh, that was like, that was good for the soul. Mm. Just to like touch base with that side of yourself and be like, okay, remind yourself what life was. 
before yeah. the world ended and try to I think you just need to be patient I suppose is the best word but just kind of don't completely lose your love for it like it's good to touch in and remind yourself like why you know yeah maybe don't see the pandemic as holding you back from doing what you love do what you love to get you through the pandemic right try not to maybe think of it as a goal orientated thing and something I have found big time as well and I'm only I'm kind of gutted that I'm only doing it now because this is what like lockdown three or whatever (laughs) but I feel like it's now kind of encouraged so many of us to like and I think we talked about this in another episode as well but it's kind of encouraged us all to like find our other thing I feel like Mm. when you think when you feel like you're going to be an actor or a musical theatre actor you kind of feel like it'll take a couple of years to find what your side hustle is or what your side passion is or the things you enjoy doing to keep you like ticking as a person you know and those things that may not necessarily have any like financial gain or whatever the case may be but I think it's kind of prematurely encouraged us to like find those things which I'm really, mm. and we've never, we've never really had the luxury of time on mm. our side. Um, mm. And I think when you graduate drama school, your third year goes by in a flash and then you, it feels like a race to the finish line when you get out and so much pressure is kind of put on that year group and what happens to them in their first year. And, oh, so-and-so's got in the room for waitress, but so-and-so's got seen for grace and, I I was really, really stressed about that time period pre-COVID when we were in third year, but now that that kind of that's been taken out of our hands, it's nice to kind of sit back, reevaluate and have the luxury of time. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That makes so much sense. I think um I think for me, um, this sort of lockdown period, it hasn't uh it hasn't made me lose my love for it but it's made me hone in on what the particular area of my love is. So like thinking back on it now, I don't miss dancing. I haven't done a dance class in a year. I don't think I've done a stretch in about six months. I don't, I don't miss it. Whereas acting and writing specifically, that is just like, that's clicked for me even more during this lockdown mm. period. So I've been like writing more things for for plays and for the stage. And I've been, putting stuff out there for acting. I've just applied for acting for screen masters at a few places, Royal Central included. Um, <laughs> so I think for me, it's, it's one of those things where, yes, what my original plan was, was taken away, but it has this sort of period of inactivity has actually given me that minute to go, actually, hold on, is this, am I going to stick to the plan? Because otherwise I probably would have, finished off at drama school and would have ended up trying to be on a cruise ship somewhere doing doing a cabaret show and I might not have I might not have had the passion for it that I think I probably would for projects coming up now yeah great when one door closes another opens a little bit yeah as well as that I feel like beforehand because it's your entire world you feel like it's life or death and you feel like if you haven't, after a year, booked a West End gig, you're a failure and you need to like mm. sort yourself out. Whereas coming out the other side of this, if and when the theatre industry does get back to what it was, which, you know, God, we're hoping it does, 
it will be nice because I feel like for a lot of people, it won't feel as life or death anymore because we've all yeah. been forced to now deal with the fact that, okay, we actually have to like kind of sort our real lives out and sort out like how we stay, how we stay alive and how we mm. function without it. And I feel like, so have now having the ability and having the knowledge that I can function without it will help when auditions do start back up again, it'll help not having the stakes so high and being like, if I get it, I get it. If I don't, I don't. I'm just grateful to do it in the first place. It's not going to be like, if I don't get this, I'm jumping in the Thames. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think like the most important thing for anyone to be able to do really comes down to just looking after yourself, doesn't it? Because as you said, like the industry you guys are in particularly is just so intense. Like it is so much pressure on you at all times if you come out of this pandemic and try to use the time to really kind of look after yourself and realign what you want to do then it genuinely might help your performance skills and the way you handled like handle the industry anyway um there's always like some sort of positive even if it's not clear every day there's definitely like some sort of positive we can all gain from it i think yeah oh we'll get through it guys we'll get through it so (laughs) Molly, now I want to talk about uh, social media online. You have your voice coach page, which I love. Um, (laughs) And you also have a couple of resources that we'll talk about in a bit. But first of all, I want to know what, what was the initial idea behind the Instagram account? What, talk about the content that you're putting on the Instagram account and you, I must say, you are very, very consistent with it. And I assume that it takes a lot of work to be pumping mm. out that much information as consistently as you do. So just kind of talk about the social media thing and how you're kind of trying to build that online presence. Yeah, so I guess I, I mean, I did not want to do a master's. Like I was at Warwick and I thought, is there any way I can go into voice coaching without doing a master's? Spoke to literally everyone I knew and all of them had done this master's I'm at at Central. So I thought, okay, maybe not. But for me, I didn't want to go into a master's because that would be my fifth year of higher education. And I really wanted to get out of education. I wanted to work. I mean, I'm loving it, but I really wanted to start working. But when I knew I had to do the master's, I was like, okay, fine, we'll get through it. But when it came to doing the pre-reading, which I knew I had to do, because as I said, I'm not a trained actor. I've never really taught a voice class in my life properly for like money before I, before I started the masters or applied for the masters. So I was like, okay, I've got to get ahead on reading. How can I make it fun? I'll just do an Instagram. So then I started the Instagram account, Molly's Trills. Um, and I just started like posting whenever I had a chance. This was when I was still at work. Whenever I just had a chance to read a little bit about absolutely anything, would put it on there, whatever. And then first lockdown hit, And like everyone, I was like, cool, what can I do with my time? And so I was like, look, I'm just going to read and I'm just going to put up a post a day about what I'm reading and just anything to make it a little bit exciting. Started doing that and I started to gain some traction. Um, So I started like actually being able to help people who were following me, who were reaching out to actually want voice tips and everything like that. Um, And it just became like a really nice community where I let out some tips people would respond being like, oh my God, like I was thinking about this the other day or, oh, could you help me with this and this and that? 
Um, and it's just kind of grown a little bit into what it is now, um, which is still very small. Like I'm not really too fussed about getting millions and millions of followers, but I think it's just really nice for me to have a community where I know the people who are following me are genuinely interested in what I'm doing because I definitely had a lot of doubt going into voice coaching. Like, as I said, didn't know what it was for years. And I still don't really know like how well it would pay. Um, and it's something that you have to explain to a lot of people of what it actually is. Like everyone presumes you're a singing teacher until you're like, no, 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 it can go into like everything. And I think there's a lot of like imposter syndrome mixed with like shitting myself about going into it. And so to have a community online where, you know, 500 or so people are also interested in what I'm doing and are also genuinely willingly trusting me to like help them. It's something that I selfishly like really didn't realize how much I needed. Like I really needed that sense of community. Um, so yeah, now I definitely don't post every day cause I'll be mad, but I post like three times a week or so. Um, and I just really enjoy it. It's just a nice community where I feel like I can just share whatever and people are just so lovely. And you now have a couple of bits and bobs that you are able to purchase. Um, yeah. I, on the day that this podcast comes out, you'll be doing a webinar this afternoon because this will come up Wednesday morning. Um, yes. But first of all, tell us about, for anybody, because it'll probably be a bit late by the time people listen to this, um, but basically tell us about the resources that people can purchase and what they are. Yeah, so I have a little handbook Called the performer's voice and I brought that out really early on like last lockdown the first lockdown however many lockdowns we've had um, and I brought it out for actors and performers specifically who were wanting to keep up their training um, well they couldn't basically and so it basically just goes through um, a load of information on how the voice actually works because I doubt many people actually learn how the voice works which is mad to me because it's literally your instrument as an actor so of course you should know how it works. It gives a lot of information on that. It gives some really simple, like um, how you should structure a warm up. really simple examples and with like pictures and illustrations on how to go through a warm up, and a load of vocal health information on there as well. Um, so that's like one thing that's just four pound 50. So it's pretty cheap. It's just something that you can just easily access. And very recently I've brought out a kind of similar thing but like leveled up so I've got like the complete actors warm-up which is like a 45 minute to an hour warm-up where I am literally speaking through a microphone at you and I'm basically saying okay next we're going to go on to release work if you just want to lie down on the floor place your hands on your belly and we go through like a whole sequence and it's a long sequence um, but it touches on release alignment breath support um, resonance, articulation, text, everything. So if you were ever, you know, needing to do a self-tape in 10 minutes, but I need to do some articulation work, you can just follow the timestamps that I've got on there as well. Go to the bit where there's articulation work and, you know, you can pick and choose what suits you. Um, and so all of that is a tenner as well. So again, pretty cheap, but, you know, I don't want to like exploit actors who are out of a job at the moment for stuff. Um, and they're the two biggies, really. And then, as you said, I've got that free webinar this afternoon, um, which is basically just tips and tricks on how actors can kind of keep on top of things during this time and a quick rundown of what voice coaching is and how it can help. Um, and even if you're not around to view that live, you can just still sign up and I can send you the recorded version for free as well. 
Um, but yeah. And guys, I want to give a first-hand review of the Complete Actors <laughs> Format because I did buy it a couple of weeks ago. Um, because I am bit, I have a um, remote job working from home and I am on the phone to people um, most of the day. And I'm finding that my voice is constantly like exhausted and I feel really disconnected from it generally because I haven't really sang at all in God knows how long. So I was looking for something to make me just feel a bit more like uh, connected and in control of my voice again. Because um, I know I'd spoken to Molly about this anyway, but I completely like lost my voice for about six months because of um, something called silent reflux. So I've spent like a year kind of feeling like completely out of control and disconnected mm. from my voice. Um, and especially doing this job now where I'm talking to people 24 um, seven and then recording the podcast on top of it as well. It's just nonstop talking. So mm. having that has just been really, really helpful to at least feel like a bit of self-care for the throat as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? yeah. So I would highly, highly recommend Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. Yeah, very so, exciting. Molly, before we go, just to clarify one more time for everybody, where can everybody find you on socials? So you can find me on Instagram, which is Molly's underscore trails, and on Facebook. I need to change the name of it, but I think it's still called Find Your Voice with with Parker, which is my old name. But if you go onto Instagram for Molly's underscore trails, you'll be able to DM me there. Amazing. And Chesney, where can they find you on socials? You can find me on Instagram at ForksFitness underscore or on TikTok at Chesney on stage. And guys, you can first of all, our dear, our dear companion Abby, who is not here, you can find her uh, at Abby O'Neill17 at basically every social media. You can find me on Jordan E. E. Donnelly on Instagram and Twitter. And as well as that, if you want any updates on the podcast, uh, follow us on Instagram at tightlads underscore podcast. Uh, But Molly, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun. And I'm assuming it goes without saying, but if anybody listening kind of is in a similar situation where they're maybe struggling with something or they maybe feel like they just want to reconnect with their voice if they haven't sang or done done any voice work in a long time they can reach out to you and talk about purchasing the handbook or the warm-up yeah absolutely or just any general advice i'm always happy for a chat yeah absolutely so guys thank you very much for listening and i suppose in the meantime stay ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a new season we recommend. Hey, happy listener. I'm Yardley. And I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. And we are the hosts of the true crime podcast, Small Town Dicks. On our podcast, detectives from small towns all around the world give us their firsthand accounts of the memorable crimes they investigated in their small town. The new season of Small Town Dicks launches on September 17th. 
Meanwhile, if you're new to the podcast, we have over 118 episodes for you to binge until the new season starts. So please join us on September 17th for an original take on true crime. Small Town Dicks, available wherever you like to listen. ACAST, ACAST, ACAST recommends. recommends.